Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Post Call Gaming Grand Rounds, our regular podcast, I guess not so regular, on gaming news and discussion. I'm your host, Dax. Tonight, I'm joined tonight by my great friend and co-host, Aero. Aero, how are you doing tonight? Uh, not bad, not bad. Tonight's a good night. <laughs> <laughs> been a while since we've recorded one of these and we were joking before we started <laughs> doing the podcast um that i am out of i am out of practice and it took quite a while to actually get all the gear and everything set up so if anything sounds wonky if the flow is not good we apologize for being out of practice uh, okay. we'll chop it up we'll, we'll chop it up we'll, we'll make it look you know nice and spick and span <laughs> Uh, Errol, what are you, uh, you know, I usually like to start off every podcast episode, doesn't matter uh, what the topic is, just by asking kind of, what have you been playing? Because I know we were talking a little bit about the game that's been occupying oh, your attention. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I usually just play Magic Arena, but uh, what I've been playing in the last week, I've been playing Path of, uh, Path of Exile. Uh, the new league just dropped, the temporary league of Path of Exile Synthesis, uh, 3.6, hype patch, um, you know, I follow the Reddit and everything like that. So it has been a very enjoyable experience so far, and that's what I've been playing the week. Very nice. Um, so for those of you guys probably already spoiled by the podcast title episode, um, we thought it would be a fun chance to kind of talk a little bit about the fact that the uh, previous CEO of Nintendo of America, Reggie fils has announced his retirement. And um, we'll talk a little bit about his successor because everyone's having a little bit of fun with kind of who's taking over Nintendo. But we originally were talking a little bit about our histories with Nintendo. And Aero, you were telling me that kind of your interaction with Nintendo was not maybe as much as me and PWs, um, but that you had kind of hopped on around the GameCube era. Is that right? It's not that I... It's I never followed the news that surrounded Nintendo uh, at that time. I mean, like, back when I first owned a Nintendo system, I was like, what? five years old or maybe even old a bit older than that probably but i'm pretty sure i had uh, a super nintendo because uh, i remember i remember very fondly playing super mario brothers 3 and never playing any other game that i had because all the other games are too hard apparently <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh from there on i had a game boy and realistically i only played pokemon on my game boy color i had a game boy color i didn't have a game boy i only played pokemon i had the blue version never had the yellow one and blue then for life. silver <laughs> and blastoise for silver. life blastoise for life and then i had a silver version and then i had an, uh, a game boy advance and i sort of always had like the handhelds um and when it finally came down to the consoles i owned an n64 but I think it was very quick before I then transitioned over to a GameCube. Um, and I only had a handful of games on my GameCube. Wasn't very big. Like, I played it on occasions. I played Smash. I played whatever. But um, I didn't really hop on that much at the time. And then I've sort of owned every Nintendo product since then. But I've never really followed their news. It was more, oh, I like this particular genre of game. So I'll buy the system for some of the proprietary uh, characters and their games that they've put out. So I think... You know, GameCube is an interesting um, launch-off talking point because, um, you know, as we are aware, GameCube is kind of roughly around the time that Reggie, you know, showed up at Nintendo. He was just announced, you know, one of the big things I think everyone uh, jokes about or talks about is the fact that, you know, that's his infamous, uh, my name's Reggie, I'm here to kick ass and take names. So uh, from your <laughs> the, perspective... Uh, Regilution. The Regilution, that's right. So from your perspective... Um, how kind of like what what was the GameCube like to because you mentioned you know you had an N64 you had a Super Nintendo and I think a lot of uh-huh. people argue that the N64 was kind of a low point for Nintendo ironically because you know despite the fact that this was the generation this was the machine that gave us Mario 64 you know Ocarina mm-hmm. of Time but for a lot of people the N64 was a misstep and the GameCube um, kind of has this interesting legacy so what's what what's kind of your perspective on what the GameCube brought to the Nintendo legacy. I don't know. I can't really tell you that much because, again, I wasn't really into that scene. But I think part of my ignorance sort of reflects what it was back then because at the time, I was a really big PS2 PS2 guy. Like, I had a PlayStation 2. I had a bunch of games for that. I would always be playing the Final Fantasy series, the Street Fighter stuff. Like, I was playing a lot of those types of games. And I think there was a distinct lack of quality in terms of graphical quality in terms of... um, games coming from the not just i think from the n64 and then also in the gamecube the hardware itself in terms of its capacity for rendering video never felt as polished as like the ps2 mm. 
Um, I think for me, for example, it's like I remember when this was quite later on. I remember when I bought Final Fantasy twelve, and the cutscenes in Final Fantasy twelve were amazing. It was like watching a video. It was like watching a ten eighty p video. Like it was like at the time, it yeah, was. Yeah crisp it was clear and the gameplay while obviously it has to lower the resolution a bit jack it down because it's in an open world it was better than almost anything else i've played ever on the gamecube yeah, granted yeah. i didn't have a lot of other gamecube games <laughs> but it definitely felt like the gamecube itself in terms of the games and the hardware was a bit limited now i did enjoy a lot of the games i love the super mario games big fan of those i had super mario sunshine paper mario and then i also played like uh melee and melee graphically looked fairly polished as well but i think those were probably games that stood above a lot of the other games that came out for the gamecube so i don't know that's my take on it i was much bigger on the other end on that playstation 2 and I know a lot of people credit Reggie for really, like, giving Nintendo that sort of attitude it needed to help become more sort of dominant or more take a bigger presence in the North American market. I think that's a great way of putting it. I think the GameCube, when you look over its library and you think about its legacy, um, it's definitely of the three consoles that kind of warred in that generation, you know, the PS2, like you talked about, and then Microsoft had actually just entered the yes. market with the Xbox. Nintendo was this awkward position of it was kind of like the ugly stepchild like it was the machine (laughs) it was the machine that a lot of hardcore gaming fans owned because it was the only way you would be able to play your favorite nintendo franchises Mm -hmm. but at the same time it was underpowered it wasn't a graphical showcase now that being said i know a lot of people are going to comment on stuff like star wars rogue 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 one rogue fighter um oh i'm gonna get lambasted for this but um, there were a lot of great-looking games on the GameCube, partly because it was mm-hmm. the only machine that featured an AMD graphics or an NVIDIA graphic, an ATI graphics card, um, versus the PS2 and the Xbox, I believe. But um, I think you're right. I think Reggie did a lot to kind of give Nintendo that sense of we're not just a family-friendly console, which I think Nintendo was also struggling with up until that point. Like, they're for kids. It's a kid's game. You know, you play kitty games. You go to PS2 if you want your yeah. Final Fantasies. You go to Xbox if you want Halo. Yeah. Um, and I think Reggie was doing a lot to kind of bandy up this this feeling among fans that, you know, Nintendo is also a place where you get to play these seriously mm-hmm. awesome games. So I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think Reggie kind of gave the company this image of we're also a serious gaming company and we might not have shooters and we might not have final fantasy but this is kind of we're not just you know your little brother's game console Uh, you bring up a very good point right because um it's sort of the target demographic you're trying to get at and i think for a lot of the people nintendo had a really big place sort of in history with their earlier super nintendo system the home entertainment system and for them, they had they targeted this group of gamers. It was like family. It was people that went to the arcades. And by the time we got to sort of this um, GameCube stage, these people are much older. They probably have families. They have kids. Their kids grew up watching maybe in a household where they had this sort of system. But now they're in that teenage age, probably. And that's a new demographic that you have to cater your game and your system towards. So that I think that oh, that goes to part of the success of the PS2 franchise or the PlayStation franchise and also the Xbox franchise, for example, like their Halo games. A lot of people I know back in my day played Halo and it was because it was like it was a shooter, it had an interesting story and all these sort of different things, and it wasn't anything that was nothing similar was offered in the GameCube and I'm in the Nintendo series. And I was just wondering whether that's because they didn't target demographic correctly, trying to be too family friendly. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I think, I think part of it is because Nintendo has always done its own thing. And I think another part of it is, I think, and I, I think part of what we'll talk a little bit about as well is kind of Reggie's role when it came to negotiating Nintendo of America's strategy and position under mm-hmm. the under the grip of you know no oh, I don't remember what I don't remember what the acronym is for Nintendo of Japan. It's not NOJ. But it's it's kind of everyone knows that Nintendo of America has always been kind of more of a marketing body and not necessarily a developing body. Um, but I think that point comes from the fact that you know Miyamoto actually has a background in toy design. Like Miyamoto 
his original career aspirations when he was growing up was he wanted to be a toy designer. So I think it's interesting because you'll see that a lot of the early Nintendo games have that kind of philosophy. Like they're toys, they're toys for kids. Um, <laughs> they are right. Like if you look no, at, I'm just, I'm just thinking specifically of Rob. Oh yeah, exactly. That's a, I think in my, in my mind, what sticks out to me is if you think about the original Donkey Kong on the arcade board or even the port that got brought over to the Nintendo Entertainment System, um, it's interesting to kind of realize that um, if you think about Donkey Kong, it could actually totally be a toy. Like, it, you'd be rolling barrels down the top, it would roll down. Like, it, it's very much like there's this element of a playground fascination. And Mario himself and a lot of the Mario games are kind of designed like toys. Like, even Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm is basically a toy box like you get to do all this stuff and try all this all these things um so i think you're right i think i think the reason is because you know miyamoto being such a prominent figure in the company i think his philosophy on what games could be and should be definitely colored what they were able to design and and the other thing as well is you know if you're designing games to be toys and you have this philosophy that toys should be fun and safe to a certain degree like you're not going to get shooters you're not going to get these violent video games um it's just a matter of perspective and i i think going switching topics to what i wanted to touch on i think it's interesting to think that you know ncl that's the name ncl (laughs) i think i think it's ncl uh ncl and noa's uh, relationship um what do you kind of know about that relationship like I'm a little bit curious because uh, certainly I'm happy to fill in the gaps, but I am curious to see what you know. You you said yourself you're not really kind of someone who keeps up to date with the Nintendo news. What's your understanding of kind of Nintendo of Japan and Nintendo of America's relationship? Uh, the answer is zero. I know zero percent of that answer. <laughs> so <laughs> to to fill in the gaps, um, so I think <laughs> thank you. I, I I think the key the key thing that people have understood for several years is that. Nintendo of Japan pretty much drives all of the decisions across its three major markets, being itself, Nintendo of America, and Nintendo of Europe. Um, so pretty much whatever NCL wants is what the other companies have to deal with. And um, the interesting kind of part to that is also recognizing that Nintendo of America doesn't actually have its own developers. Um, so whereas, you know, Nintendo of Japan has their various teams who work on Mario, who work on Animal Crossing, and they kind of divide themselves amongst different directors. Um, mm-hmm. Nintendo of America has no actual in-house development studio. Like all the games that come from American studios are actually second party. So that's like Retro Studios who did uh, Metro Prime. Um, that's like uh, Double Jump Studios who did the latest uh, Luigi's Mansion for the 3DS. None of these studios actually belong or exist within Nintendo of America. They're contracted and they're exclusively Nintendo developers, but they're not they're not actually people who are hired by Nintendo. So I think I think one of the things that has come out as different podcasts and different people have been going over Reggie's career is the recognition that um, he probably has played a part in kind of negotiating um, how much of NCL's strategy or direction should go towards um, the NOA kind of release. And there's been a lot of discussion that the guys over at Treehouse, which is Nintendo's in-house uh, translation and localization department, probably have given Japanese developers a lot of insight into what flies and what doesn't fly in the American market. Um, so I think with that said, a lot of people over the years have pretty much said that Reggie um, is pretty much a mouthpiece for NCL. Like he's not actually a leader in his respective company or even in the industry. And that everything that comes out of his company is effectively what he's been told to sell to the American audience. Um, do you think you'd agree with that? Like, is that, is that your perception of Reggie fils when you think of him as the, you know, ex or well, uh, I guess as outbounding or outgoing CEO of Nintendo of America? Huh. That's a good question. Cause I don't know. I honestly don't know how to answer that. Um, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, I've definitely read some of the other articles talking about it. And for example, I believe, um, even in that very, uh, first introduction, when he said, my name is Reggie about kicking ass and about taking names and we're about to, and we're about making games and the aggressive nature of that. Apparently that wasn't him that came up with it. No, it was written (laughs) up for someone. It was written up by someone for him to go do this. And he wasn't even sold on it until what, like very, very close to the actual presentation conference itself. He wasn't (laughs) even sold then. And he just went out there and he was like, I guess I gotta do this. (laughs) And so, 
Yeah. Definitely, when you think of it from that perspective, and even he himself said he what he didn't write this, he didn't think of this, or at least not to the extent that we got. Um, it would seem like he was a bit more of a of a uh, of a messenger of a uh, mouthpiece for that company. And it's kind of interesting to see because if you go over, if you kind of you know pick over Reggie's career. Um, before he came to Nintendo, he this is like a man who's done a lot of marketing work. Like he was at Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. he was at Pizza Hut, and apparently he kind of headed the Bigfoot Pizza kind of marketing campaign. Which my understanding from listening to American podcasts is that that was a huge thing. I don't think I don't think we had anything like that in uh, up here in frigid Canada. But um, <laughs> but I mean this is this is someone who understands marketing to a T, and it's 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 fascinating to me that. It makes me wonder how much Reggie may have or may not have changed the culture in terms of the relationship between Nintendo of America and NCL, because certainly um, I think one thing that comes to mind, um, you know, making the jump from the GameCube now to the Wii, which was a humongous success, you have to wonder, like, how... How did any marketing department with any understanding of the North American market allow Nintendo to release a console named the Wii? It makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> there is no way, you know, a bunch of guys in a meeting room in in America, you know, they're they're contacting their colleagues in Japan and their colleagues in Japan are saying, hey, by the way, we're releasing a new console. It's got motion controls. You're going to be able to create your own avatars. We're going to have a virtual console. The latest Zelda is going to be on it. Oh, oh, and by the way, it's called the Wii. And there's no way you can tell me that a serious a company with two functioning branches with one in North America seriously was like, yeah, that's totally going to be okay. And it's a testament to the fact that they were actually able to sell this machine to the public. Here, here I'm wondering whether that's actually what transpired. Because if you think about it, if they named it something like the GameCube, let's say, right? The GameCube, it's a very generic name. It's something that's very forgettable. It's something that is it doesn't differentiate itself from its competition because you have you're competing against the PlayStation and you're competing against the Xbox and that's from Microsoft and you having that Wii name that's <laughs> quite out there that's so different i mean from a marketing perspective he could have held on to that i definitely feel like based on his past accomplishments that he has a big voice in the company at least um for establishing that relationship. I just don't know whether the persona he comes across in these sort of um, uh, different conferences and different like in-person meetings or these presentations are exactly who he really is, um, how much of it is written for him and how much is actually stuff that he truly believes and thinks. But it definitely feels like from a marketing um, perspective that he has done a lot um, to understand the North American market and to push sort of like what he feels will succeed in the North American market. And maybe they thought the Wii could work based on how outlandish this name was. And maybe the head company really, really wanted this name. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. (laughs) For sure. I mean, 100%. Like they, they were able to turn around what should have been a marketing disaster in a fantastic way. Like I'm thinking back to the commercials where um, there's these two Japanese salesmen and they come into someone's home and they basically say, we would like to play. And I think Nintendo. Of America, yeah. I, I think you're remembering oh those commercials too. Um, and I think Where's the, other the thing- pun patrol? Where's the pun patrol? <laughs> this one right here, officer. But there's also there's also the fact that I think they were trying to sell um, the fact that the Wii was called the Wii because the two eyes is supposed to represent two people, like two players. It's like a head and two mm-hmm. bodies. I remember like, that. They did a lot, I think, to try to turn the ship around. And in all honesty, I think I'm wondering if um, the Wii and the success uh, with its marketing, with its uptake throughout the world is kind of how Reggie managed to rise up in terms of his... Uh, I'm trying to think of the words for it, but basically kind of like his, the, the, the recognition of his contribution in the company, because I would imagine when he was um, kind of ascended to, or was brought into Nintendo in 0304, you know, he probably didn't have enough time to really impact the GameCube very much. Um, but the mm-hmm. Wii could certainly probably be seen as his baby in terms of how he was going to try to sell this to, to, to North America. Um, I think it, it's also... Huh interesting because you kind of think about the wii u which came right after which itself was another naming disaster because 
you know, as the story goes, a lot of the big issues with the Wii U is the fact that the name made a lot of parents pretty, and a lot of, you know, older, non-gaming, familiar individuals pretty much think, you know, this is an extension, this is like an add-on, this isn't the next version of the machine. Um, so, he, you know, he's, he's definitely had a lot of challenging curveballs thrown to him by his parent company. Um, but it, it is certainly interesting to kind of think about, you have to wonder how much of it is his tilt. Like he, he obviously, I think mm-hmm. he did a miracle bang up job with the Wii, but, uh, like the Wii U, it was just a tragic name. <laughs> just a lot I, of tragic I, names. I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree names. that it was. But it's so, it's really interesting now that I look at the history of it, because I didn't actually look as much onto the history of these things. But, so the GameCube itself was released in 2001. Yeah, yeah. And then a short three years later, and this sort of coincides with when Reggie started coming on board and was in marketing, the Nintendo DS was released. The DS was actually quite successful. It was released in 2004, and uh, about, uh, this is what, uh, Q4, 2004? Yeah, that's in November. Yeah, that's Q4. Uh, And, I mean, that went really well. And then afterwards, it was followed by the the Wii itself, which was released in, I want to say, 2006. Is it 6? Yeah, I was going to say 06. Yeah, and that was also Q4 in November 2006. I think I think the the thing is, you know, as a, as if you think about Reggie's position, like he's got to sell these weird gaming consoles that have never been done before because this is this is primarily around the time where Nintendo was chasing what I would call like the Apple philosophy. Like they were trying mm. to design games and consoles and peripherals that were kind of pitched as, "Hey, you've never played a game before? Well, this is a completely new way to play and it's meant to kind of you know it's supposed to be easy to get into and this is also the time when nintendo changed all of its marketing material so around this time is when i think nintendo um it's really interesting because with the switch they went back to the old school nintendo marketing colors which is red and white um Mm -hmm. and nintendo has kind of always been red and white like the original nes was kind of red and white the snes they kind of deviated and they were the depending on which region you're in they were either four different colors or they were purple and white um, but with the Wii, the Wii U, and the DS, this is when we started seeing that uh, the white and black and the white and blue yeah. um, Nintendo logos. And it's also interesting because, uh, as you pointed out, like you, you kind of have to wonder how much of Reggie's influence... I mean, this is also around the same time that Satoru, Satoru Iwata kind of started doing this whole blue ocean strategy, like selling games to people who weren't gamers with devices that either were intuitive to use or games that were not your classic hard school games like i'm thinking of brain age training Mm -hmm. academy i'm thinking of um what else was there like we sports was like a whole phenomenon to the point right like i mean they're still (laughs) playing those in seniors homes like it's crazy (laughs) um but i think i think you raise an interesting point like he like reggie had clearly done a lot of work like he i I do think you're right in saying that he probably played a huge part in getting the ds accepted by the gaming culture and i think he he did a phenomenal like sisyphian is that even the term sisyphian that guy that pushes the boulder up a hill uh task of selling the wii Uh, to to, that was sisyphus sisyphus sisyphian (laughs) sisyphian task (laughs) sisyphian task of uh you know selling these weird you know, I, I, I'm even thinking back to like Game Facts. I remember when the DS was announced and when the Wii was announced, people were like, this is stupid. Like, you're not going to want to play a game with a touch screen. Like, come on, that's stupid. Or I, I agree. Right? And I mean, when we first saw it and when we first started playing with it, we agreed because it, it was so new that the touch screen capacity and like sort of uh, developers didn't really know what to do with the touch screen, right? Yeah. And if you think back to like the Pokemon games, touchscreen integration was terrible because it was just your menu. That's it. Which you could still That's control was. with your D-pad yeah. and, and APSY. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, later on, there were much more, there were a, a few more games that actually used the touchscreen more Cooking often. Mama. And used that sort of a, Cooking Mama was a really big one. I personally, going back to the Pokemon series, I really like, enjoy playing Pokemon Ranger, uh, which was one that oh, yeah. used a lot of the touchscreen because yeah, you yeah. had to use it to draw the circles. Um, and there was like um, the rhythm games were really nice as well. Um, I can't remember which one it was called now. The uh, one, uh, uh, Elite Beat Agent. Elite Beat Agent. Yes. And a few other ones as well. And I definitely agree that they sort of, their philosophy looked like it was always been, we want to make innovative, um, innovative devices or um, sort of game systems 
that differentiate itself in the market. Yeah. Because their two competitors essentially are fighting over the same people. Uh, yeah, they're fighting over yeah, exactly. They're the fighting over market. the same people, yeah. the same market, the same market share is what they have because they're both very similar systems. Uh, both the Xbox and the PlayStation systems are very similar in terms of what they can do and what games they bring. Um, and in all fairness, I don't mean in a bad way, but they haven't innovated a whole lot in their entire lifespan because they're still doing the 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 shape and the console and what it tries to achieve is still very similar. Yeah. Um, whereas the Wii U, no matter how bad that name is or how good you think that name is, they slapped they basically turned a home console into a semi um, like portable one with the screen right onto your controller, which. Some might argue it's not necessary, but it paved the way for other things because they sort of looked at their DS and said, could we turn that touchscreen and take off that top screen and make it way bigger? So that's sort of like a tablet now. Or, well, not not as much of a tablet, but it was like something like that. So, I mean, it's interesting because I think if you kind of look over the trajectory of Reggie's career, it's basically like lows and highs and lows and mm-hmm. highs. Um, well. <laughs> which is natural, but it's kind of, yeah. he's, he's clearly leaving on a very good note with the switch, but um, not to discredit. I, I think as we've kind of talked about it, it's really clear that I think Reggie was very instrumental at Nintendo of America in, in getting gamers in general, and then the public to accept these weird, wacky Japanese mm-hmm. gaming peripherals or consoles. Um, and he, he, I think it's interesting because on Reddit, you'll, you'll see a lot of people that have been posting these images of Reggie back in 2004 and Reggie now, and people are making these very (laughs) cruel comparisons to Barack Obama, um, from, from when Barack was, uh, you know, first elected in, I think, oh, what was it? Was it 2008? Cause he had two terms, right? So 2008 to 2016. And so it's really funny to see people be like, wow, like, he's, he's not aged well. Like, Nintendo ruined him. But, you know, the poor man's been working at this company for like 14 years. Like, come Aging on. Aging is a natural process. It's just funny. But anyway, um, so, I, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, he wrote this high. He did this really great job with the DS. He did this really great job with the uh, Wii. And then he was just, you know, two huge hitters. The 3DS, which I do think is a success now. I think mm-hmm. people might not remember when it first was announced and released. It actually had a very hard time um, getting a good foothold to the market to the point at which I don't know if people even remember this, but um, Iwata actually took a salary cut and reduced the price of the 3DS, I think, within the first year of its launch. Ooh. And people who had bought a 3DS in the first couple of months actually got free um, GBA games, which were never released wow. for the 3DS. See, this this is what I mean. Like, I think I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really fascinating, and to- it's one of those things. It's weird because what I remember from that is like the 3DS announcement was released, right? But at the time, I owned an an original Nintendo DS. Like it was blue, one of the big trapezoidal oh, shaped ones, the chunky ones, not the DS <laughs> Lite. One. I have a chunky one. Had. And then I also then owned a DS Lite. And so by the time the 3DS came out, I was like, "Why do I need this? Why would I need this?" Well, it's so. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think for me, when they announced the 3DS, the first thing was 3D is stupid. Like I don't, I don't understand how 3D. <laughs> how 3d is going to add anything to to the experience and and having owned a 3ds for i don't know how many years now but i I can't say i think i think i think the thing to take away as we look at how devices have evolved because like 3d tvs remember how that was a huge thing like a couple years ago those are gone now like we we don't care anymore i will double down and say i still think the 3ds the 3d component of 3ds is still stupid it is. It is because it actually, is I've never well, used it. Well, the funny thing is, the games that have released in the last year or so for the 3DS, you know, we're, we're entering into the end of its lifespan, really. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of games that have released for it in this year have basically had no 3D support. Like you'll you'll turn the slider way up and nothing happens because companies yeah. are realizing people don't care. Um, and I think, <laughs> well, it's true. Like, I mean, the only games I can think of where 3D actually meant uh. anything was 3D Land because it was designed by Nintendo. Yes. Um, and like everything else, it's it was just kind of like this neat, cool thing. But you then kind of realize as well that the 3D effect is not, it's not really true 3D. It's like you're no, kind of looking not. at, it's like layers, right? Like you're not yeah. really looking at depth. It's just, you're seeing layers. It's, it's just the stereoscopic effect. It's not really true 3D. So it's a... Uh... It doesn't. It's not very appeasing to the eyes. No, at least for me, I never really enjoyed playing it in 3D, even if I had the option to. Yeah. I just wouldn't. 
I so I have like I've played Fire Emblem in 3D, and you're kind of like this is neat, but then you also just realize that like I, I think that the I think the the ultimately people realize like this is not it's not creating new ways to play like the Wii was with motion motion controls, um, and it's not it's not really adding anything to the experience that you can't get anywhere else. Like I, I think ultimately when you look over Reggie's career, I think the things that have persisted since is. Um, portables continue to be a key fundamental part of Nintendo's strategy. And I think motion <laughs> controls, for better or for worse, you know, still exist. Like we, the Switch still has a couple games where motion controls are there. Like even Odyssey has them for certain moves that you can only do with motion controls. Um, but at 3D, it's a whole, it's a whole other podcast episode that we'll do in the future. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, when we move past the Wii, Reggie kind of got, got dealt this hand of like the 3DS. Then he had to, you know, work with the Wii U. And it was just kind of like this abject, like, you know, 3DS is succeeding now, but back then it was like failure after failure. And Nintendo was just kind of on, it just seemed like it was on his last legs. Mm-hmm. And that brings us, um, I, we totally skipped over another thing that I want to talk about, which uh, was the fact that when the Wii was top dog, but it was kind of on its last legs, there was also this whole discussion about how Nintendo wasn't even bringing over games from their own developers to the US that they thought that people were saying like, this is going to help save the system. And one that comes to mind is Xenoblade, the original Xenoblade. Mm. Um, and that's how we got Project Rainfall. Um like it was just this whole thing where you kind of have to ask yourself. I wonder, I wonder when Reggie, look looking back, I wonder how he views these years. Like, <laughs> I wonder yeah, if he looks into too. Like, does he think like, man, like uh, these people are so unappreciative, or does he go like, you know what, people don't understand how crappy my my scenario was. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I kind of flip it in my head. Like, I, I imagine like if Reggie turned to hit the gaming audience, it was like, how would you guys sell the Wii U? Like, come on, like let's hear let's hear how you guys would have done it. Like, he must just cackle to himself. Not easy. Like, yeah. So um, that brings us to the Switch. Um, you know, I think Reggie. Reggie, Reggie was. It's it's kind of interesting to see Reggie go, and I, I say that because I think we're starting to see a Nintendo that is undergoing a pretty significant transformation. Like Miyamoto has effectively entered more into a producing role. Like Miyamoto doesn't really do much directing anymore. Um, Satoru Iwata unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, secondary to cancer, um, and then we're starting to also witness some of the the more kind of senior designers begin to step down. So Reggie's mm-hmm. exit, it kind of just, it, it just kind of, it, it's it's happening at a time where I'm really curious to see where Nintendo is going. Now, I, I know the discussion up until now has been, you know, NOA is largely a marketing piece and Reggie probably didn't really have much, didn't have as much influence as he would have probably liked to influence things at Nintendo, but he certainly was a key part in getting their systems to sell over here. Um, but, you know, seeing this with, with Reggie's exit, what what's kind of your feeling on where Nintendo is heading? Like, do you see this uh, as a good thing, a bad thing? Is it just kind of the passage of time? I would, for one, think it's probably a passage of time. But I suppose... For me to make a good, informed opinion about this, I would need to know how big of a role he played in the marketing of the Switch. Yeah, it's. I think that's tricky because the Switch. I. I think when. I think one of the things that you said is really, really true. I think a lot of things have brought Nintendo to the Switch. Like it's the Switch is mm-hmm. not this spontaneous design decision. Now, granted, um, anybody who's who's been on YouTube recently knows that there was this whole group of videos that came out about something called the WikiPad. Uh, which came out several years before the Switch launched and effectively is a uglier, clunkier Switch. <laughs> but but uh, the Switch the Switch has a lot of features that arguably came about because of all the experiments and all the successes and failures that Nintendo's had. Um, in terms of marketing, I think you, you kind of... I, I always say, like, whenever you think about marketing, it comes in two flavors. Like, one is the actual value of the product itself, um, because I do think that the Switch's features and its it, it's kind of like its ability to be taken anywhere, its ability to be played on the TV, it's the fact that the machine is two controllers built in um, has mm-hmm. a lot to do with why it succeeded. In terms of the marketing, I, I actually don't know how much, to be completely honest with you, I don't know how much 
Nintendo of America's marketing played into the success of the Switch. And I say that because you look at the first year of the Switch and, you know, Nintendo's Japanese developers are on fire. Like, we had Zelda on launch, which I don't think... I think it's actually one of the first, one of the only, very few, if not the only Zelda game that has been available at launch on a Nintendo console. Um, and then you also have the fact that you had Super Mario Odyssey a couple months later. And that combination, I would say, does not need a lot of marketing to, to spell a grand slam. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I suppose so. Hmm. But, see, the thing is, those games, it sounds like to us that it, it's very obvious it would succeed, right? But it specifically captures only the people who would have cared about a Nintendo system to begin with. And it was, you would be the type of person who, it didn't ma- it almost wouldn't have mattered what their new console would be like. As long as they released these two games that they said they would, you very likely were going to find some way to get around to playing them. Yeah, that's true. That's, okay. Because the group that cares the most about these games are very diehard fans. I'm not saying like the games are fantastic, but they they are going to be diehard fans. I think that's very true. I think I think if that's kind of the consideration, what I will say um, in terms of how Reggie may have played a huge part of success in terms of the Switch's launch is um, before the Switch was launched. I remember distinctly that Nintendo actually, there was an E3 that they had gone to where they had made what at the time was seen as a very risky decision of Zelda's the only game we're bringing to E3, full stop. No other games, (laughs) no other previews, like it's going to be all about Zelda. And people are like, this is insane. Like this, you you cannot come to E3 with only one game. And this this was before we had any details about the Switch. The Switch, like, we didn't even know what the Switch looked like. Um, We didn't know that it was gonna... We we basically had no clue. Like, I think this was back when it was still being codenamed the NX. And and Reggie, I remember that E3 was like, we're not ready to talk about the NX yet. (laughs) And it wasn't revealed that that Breath of the Wild was going to be on the NX as a launch title. Um, But if there's anything that really helped launch the switch i think that was a really pivotal decision and we can talk all day about whether how much of this was driven by japan and how much of this was was driven by america but but the fact that they you know made that conscious decision of we're only bringing zelda to e3 i i think it was i i would not be surprised if it was a japan driven decision but i think reggie did a huge hmm. part in ensuring that that went as smoothly as it did because i think after all those previews people were sold on breath of the wild and then when people said that it was a switch launch title people were then sold on the switch because i again looking back hindsight 2020 uh, when the switch was first revealed there was actually a lot of negative sentiment towards it i i, I don't know if it was negative sentiment i mean there was a lot of uh, would ambivalence be the right word? It, there was a lot. It was a lot of people that are on the fence, right? They don't know if this is going to be the next revolution or the next big flop. Because Nintendo at this time, I think, like you were saying, was sort of on its last legs. Like the Wii U was not competing as well in the market as the other two sort of big dominant players. It was an abject disaster. Let's let's just be honest. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> Which it's ironic because we both own Wii U's, and I think we both love our Wii U's. But I, I think I, I don't think it's unfair to say that we both look at this machine like well i mean it's a super mario maker machine like what else does this thing really do (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's probably one of the most most stream videos uh games from those two consoles now super mario Um, maker 2 baby this summer i'm so excited for that i'm so excited so excited and right after uh, that it's gonna be astral chain anyway this is not this is not a podcast episode different different podcast different (laughs) podcast not for this one um but i guess that See, that's when I, when you describe it in that particular way about the E3, about that uh, decision, and sort of what was only really announced was um, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. This makes me question, and this makes me think how big of a contribution Reggie had in terms of the marketing campaign, because for all I can remember, and in terms of the uh, initial sort of demonstrations and the trailer videos, they were a lot about group play and uh it was like i remember the trailer of like that one guy and he sort of went through his entire day with a switch and it was like you can wake up you can like um pick it up and you go walk out the house you can start playing on your commute 
Doesn't he um, go on the airplane and then he comes back home despite being on an airplane? Yeah, but then like then you have the other then at, it's like at the for me I was sold because you're telling me I have a portable console that has a big screen like it's like a tablet but I can play sort of like AAA title games on it. I'm sold. I'm I am good for it. But then you take the console which comes off which has two controllers and you bring it to a bar you bring it to someone's birthday party you plop it down you bring your two other controllers and you have four people playing on this one tiny screen and i was like there's no way that's gonna work right like i'm i'm happy that you guys i'm happy that you took this trailer and you want to sell gaming as this sort of um everyday much more socially accepted concept like a world where everyone just sits down and like games with other strangers that you don't even know and everyone's having a great time and laughing because they're playing Mario Kart and I just threw a blue shell and you're like, oh, it hit everyone. I don't know. But it's one of those things where you're like, you're selling this concept of this almost in a game, in certain gamers perspective, this utopian environment of gaming. And I would be like, interesting, but can it really happen? Is, is that what's going to happen? That, I get something to say. <laughs> that that's true. No, I'm just thinking like you're right. Like it's that video. It, it's just really interesting to kind of look back and, and think about what it was trying to achieve. And again, you're right. I think I think I don't know. I, I do struggle with sometimes thinking about how much Reggie contributed. I think I think when we the story will obviously never come out. Like he's never going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, by the way, guys, like I never got to do anything at Nintendo. I was told like what to do and I just had to execute it. Like he's not going to do that. He's not going to burn that bridge. Of course. Um, but it's, it's interesting to look at how his successes, it's, it's not a Sega situation. And w- what I mean by that is Sega had this interesting situation where when the Dreamcast came out, it was actually doing better in North America than it was in Japan. <laughs> and a, a huge part of that was the marketing. Like, I remember um, who used to be, before Phil Spencer, there was like a British guy that was the head of Xbox. It's terrible that I can't remember his name. He was actually from Sega, I believe. And he, I think he got a tattoo of the Dreamcast release date on his arm. Um, oh. so Dreamcast had a phenomenal, you know, uh, presence in North America and it was, it was completely crapping out in Japan. It was not selling at all <laughs> to the point of which that's why like Sega exited the, uh, the, the console market. And it was funny because it was the complete opposite of the Saturn where the Saturn did phenomenal in Japan and was crapping out in North America. Um, <laughs> So I think that that kind of discrepancy is where you see the power of a American branch to a Japanese company is when they are able to get the games, make the marketing, do the ads. Because the huge thing that kind of really sold the Dreamcast in the States was the online play. And it was NFL, NBA, like all the sports games you could play online. Mm-hmm. And they, they marketed the crap out of that. Like Fancy Star Online, they they marketed the crap out of that. Um, whereas with with... The Nintendo and the Reggie story, I think the complication is there is no, there's nothing that shows you that discrepancy, like where one thing did really well in one place and it did really crappy in another place. Like mm-hmm. the 3DS did universally poorly at the beginning and then picked up. Um, the Wii U did universally poorly everywhere. The Wii did phenomenal everywhere. Um, it, it, granted, it did more phenomenally in the states but that's partially because there's way more people in the states so True. it's you, you don't get that luxury of like hey they did great with this thing and it didn't do great anywhere else so you kind of have to say maybe maybe that's where reggie worked his magic so maybe that's going to cloud his legacy somewhat unfortunately well i mean you're hoping the marketing team on both ends do well too. yeah yeah you're right um yeah that's reggie fils i don't know if you had anything you wanted to say there no i don't i don't uh I mean, I didn't know way too much. I only know my, a bit about these consoles and uh, whatever I can say. I still think, I mean, going back to an earlier point, I still think that just the trailers for the Switch, it's just, there's just something else there because it's a risk, I think. It was a big risk to market this as sort of this, like, um, this console that you play with a lot of other people because a lot of these other consoles at that time were not marketing themselves like that. We're yeah. not, oh, it's a group play type of a console or it can support group play very well, like basically like a local environment. Yeah. And to just simply plant that seed into your player base and then you start introducing more family-friendly games and things with like the Labo, um, which were ge- really geared towards kids at yeah. that point. You're targeting that whole spectrum of demographic now. You're right. Um, and it's... 
it's great to see that this is the ideas that they came up with and this is how they market it. But at that point, again, I wonder, was a lot of that coming from the head office side? Was a lot of that more coming from the, uh, North, uh, the North American side? Where the ideas for that sort of originated from in terms of marketing it? Because the the switch itself, I think like we were talking about, it's it's an item that basically is... Uh, the this, the machine itself is greater than the sum of all its parts because we've seen all of its parts before. The detachable Joy-Cons are essentially like the Wii, the Wii controllers. Um, the big tablet in the middle sort of came from the Wii U and sort of is uh, tested through like um, the 3DS and these different things. And it's these old concepts all brought together to make this one new thing that works it's not. It doesn't just work. It works synergistically with each other, and so it's it's naturally to see how they came towards that to make the switch, but how it's marketed. I have to wonder where a lot of those ideas come from, but we'll never know. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah, it's it's sad to it's sad to kind of accept that. I, I don't think we're ever going to hear the true story. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's part of the mystery. He's leaving on a high note. I think that's yeah. maybe the the most he could wish for is, you know, he'll, he'll accept the fact that maybe people will forever question how much of his contributions were his own. But um. but the one thing that we didn't talk about, um, the one final thing, the small thing, and really should not be the highlight, is him stepping down, um, retiring. And we talk about all his accomplishments and how sort of impactful that is. But don't you think it's more impactful that we have a beautiful meme coming out of this because of who's <laughs> taking his place? I love that. Isn't that the real story? <laughs> I really love that. I actually love, there's a photo of a, him going around where there's like two, there's like a Mario and a Luigi doll that are tied up on the shelf behind him, which is fantastic. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. <laughs> I've seen that one. I yeah, have seen it. It's really funny. So I, I, I think, uh, so, you know, Doug so, Bowser... <laughs> <laughs> yes, for for those who don't know, and uh, I think Dax, you can take the reins on this and explain that very quickly. So Doug Bowser is uh, used to be the head of marketing at Nintendo of America. Um, he actually was one of the. He's identified as one of being the key members of the team that helped market the Switch. He's being promoted to the CEO of Nintendo of America, um, and so a lot of people had fun with it. People are saying Bowser has finally taken over Nintendo. <laughs> Um, and I think, I think people are just kind of just having, poking fun with it. I think the worst are the people who have been saying, oh, so where is, you know, like Pete Bandicoot coming to take over Sony or whatever. Um, but it's, it's been a lot, there's been a lot of memes coming out of this. And and the great part is he's actually been reacting to it very well. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, like it's, it's fun. Everyone's taking it in very good stride. Yeah. It definitely bodes well for them that there's so much discussion and talk about it um and it's being received fairly positively um and at the end of the day i think it should be left for another discussion but i would really like to see a solo game with just bowser in it yeah i i think that would be interesting it would be funny to see how you would market that as well uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh i think that's gonna bring our episode to a close Aero, thanks so much for for jumping in last minute to this kind of oh. quick little podcast episode Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Uh, If you're just catching us, um, hi, everybody. You are listening to the Postcall Gaming Clinic stream team. Um, If you want to hear more from us, uh, we used to be a bi-weekly podcast on (laughs) Postcall Gaming Grand Rounds. Uh, We're hoping to pick this back up after a little bit of a long stretch of a break. Um, But this is kind of the podcast where a bunch of us hang out to talk about gaming industry news and the clinic team gives their diagnosis of some of the games that they've been playing you can check us out on anchor.fm itunes google podcasts and now spotify pew, 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 pew. so if on any of your favorite podcast services you can check us out at post call gaming grand rounds um if you want to catch up with us or you want to talk to us or message us or you want to give us any corrections uh you can always follow us on facebook.com slash post gaming and twitter.com slash post gaming and let us know what you thought um we are soon actually going to be releasing the first episode of Post Call Gaming's uh, second podcast, which we're calling Dungeons and Doctors. Uh, that's going to be hosted by PW, who unfortunately couldn't make it tonight, but was supposed to be with us. Um, and that's just going to be a chance for us to talk a bit about our love of pen and paper RPGs. Uh, Aero and I actually played a pen and paper RPG together when we were in university. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aero, where can our audience follow you if they want to see some more of your stuff? Uh, nowhere 
particular, but if you do want to ever hear from me again, you can always just tune to this channel at Post Call Gaming because I will appear here every now and then. Yeah, Eero's probably... I think I have a separate uh, Excel sheet where I just keep track of how many times people show up for fun. I think I think you're the only person that comes even close to uh, my appearances in general. What? Yeah, like... I can't, I can't believe that. <laughs> it's really... It's, I feel like I went, on a hi- I went on a hiatus just like you guys. That's what it feels like. Or at least uh, you've been active. I've been, I've been doing streams, but I don't really talk on streams anymore because it's so exhausting uh. to set up the chat monitor which is really bad because i love interacting with chat but um sometimes i come home from work and i just want to play a video game and it already takes a little bit of time to set up the pc to stream and then the the setting up the extra little stuff i have to do to actually see chat sometimes takes me out even more so i have gotten lazy i promise you i'm going to try to reverse that i'm going to try to do more streams where i'm at least commentating and then hopefully even more streams where i'm watching chat But um, the good news is we are slowly, very slowly building up our team so that hopefully uh, we're going to have more people delivering content. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing more podcasts. Um, People who have been watching the streams, the Destiny 2 review is coming soon. It's been soon for many months. (laughs) Hopefully be soon, soon. (laughs) Should we still do it? It's a Destiny 2 base game review, right? I haven't played any of the new, new content. Like, I basically stopped playing when Black Forge came out. And Gambit's already coming upon us, like, uh, what's it called? Um, Joker's something. Yeah. That's how long I haven't played it. <laughs> still going to do it. I mean, just to kind of practice editing reviews. Um, okay. Just for fun. But I think the other thing is that Waltz, Aero, and I were going to hopefully join up to do a podcast at one point kind of talking about the base game because um, we kind of all swung from not being interested in Destiny 2 at all to kind of all picking up at least Forsaken. Uh, which was an interesting kind of turn of events. So I think it'll be fun to have a chat about our experiences yes. that way. We um, didn't care. We didn't care. We suddenly became very immersed. And then we and stopped caring again. now that <laughs> the POE League started, I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we will have another podcast episode about that too. Uh, very lastly, if you would like to pick up any merchandise from the Postcard Gaming Clinic stream team, um, all profits go to all members of the clinic stream team. You can find us on teespring.com slash stores slash post dash call dash gaming. That is teespring.com slash stores slash post dash call dash gaming. I'm sorry, I could not get a shorter URL, <laughs> but you can always find links <laughs> on any of our social accounts. Um, you can pick up hoodies, t-shirts. We have now um, iPhone covers and Samsung Galaxy covers, as well as a tote bag. Um, so check us out we'll be getting merch for dungeons and doctors as well very soon so if you see the new logo and you love that you can also pick up merch for that as well pw would be very happy um Aero, any last words before we close out the podcast uh nothing else to say thank you very much for having me on it was a pleasure chatting about reggie learning more about him and i really look forward to the next podcast i can be a part of awesome all right and with that the clinic stream team bids farewell to fizeme That's all, folks. Thanks, and let's follow up again at our next clinic.